0: Well, I guess there's many cute titles I could have given to the uh, sermon today, but we'll stick with just uh, Proverbs and alcohol. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, please, to Proverbs chapter 23. <clears throat> as we test what the elders teach at Crossway Church, as we test what is taught, And that includes, of course, what I say today, according to the Scriptures, according to the perfect, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. Join me, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 23. I do want to say that we'll be reading in a minute verses 29 through 35. So our text this morning is kind of two things. It's Proverbs... On the one hand, it's Proverbs 23, 29 through 35 in the book of Proverbs. And then it's also, we'll notice a few things in the whole Bible. But this is the main thing here. Let's pray. Would you join me in prayer and you can pray silently and let's seek the Lord together as we come to this time. Lord you are God we are merely creatures you are holy and we are not on our own certainly Lord we confess our utter dependence upon you because you are God we confess our dependence upon you because you give us life and breath and everything needful you sustain us by the word of your power We confess our dependence upon you not only because we are creatures, but Lord, we confess our dependence upon your grace because we are by nature rebels. We are sinners deserving your just judgment, and we confess as your people this morning, all of us who are your people in Jesus Christ, we confess that we continue to sin daily. And so we pray, forgive us our debts, Father, Our Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lord, please, we even beg of You, lead us not into temptation. Have mercy on us, Lord. Expose our sin now as we come to Your Word. Let it be that mirror to us, the mirror, the lamp, the shining light, Lord. Expose our sin, and Lord, would You help us to run to Jesus Christ Help us to see Jesus. Teach us through your word, through the Holy Spirit this morning. Open our eyes. Pray for help. Help us, Lord, as we observe the Lord's Supper just a bit later. Help us now in these moments. Amen. If you're physically able, would you stand? Let's read Proverbs 23 beginning in verse 29. Proverbs verse 29 of chapter 23. It's okay to chuckle, chuckle a little bit in your heart and mind as you read this passage. It's very serious. It's deadly serious. Uh, but the Bible's not beyond uh, bit of maybe sarcasm. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Answer, those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast, we might say the crow's nest, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. You can be seated. As we think about the subject this morning of proverbs and alcohol, we're reminded, in what may be for some a familiar passage, we're reminded of what the Bible says in the New Testament. And the Bible says there, do not get drunk with wine, and it goes on to say, but what? But be filled with the Spirit. Please hear that again. Listen carefully. It says, do not get drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me give you uh, one key example of someone in a particular instance who was not being filled with the Spirit. Someone who is a key example of not being filled with the Spirit. We read about it in Genesis chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. You can listen. Notice the uh, the emphasis on wine, if you would. In Genesis 9.20, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem was well, a clear example, contrary to Ephesians 5.18, of one who was uh, not being filled with the Spirit. In the case of Noah, there's another case, and it's the case of Lot. I will not linger long over this. The Bible is not a tame book. And in Genesis 19, notice again the emphasis on wine. Now Lot, we've had Noah and now Lot. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters and the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the story goes on. Brothers and sisters, we need wisdom. Think about the book of Proverbs. It's a great book. I love the book of Proverbs. We need wisdom. Apart from Christ we have no wisdom. We need him to be our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1:30. We need Jesus Christ, you need Jesus Christ to be your wisdom. One part, one part of wisdom is being filled with the spirit and not living a debauched life of drunkenness. One part of wisdom in union with Jesus Christ is being filled with the spirit. When Paul says that, it doesn't just mean a one-time thing, right? It's uh it's an ongoing imperative. Continue to be filled with the spirit, which would not go with living a debauched life of drunkenness. Let me uh let me point out five things from Proverbs here. You ready? We're going to we want to just jump right in. You ready? Let me point out five things from Proverbs beginning uh, a few chapters earlier. Number one, number one, alcohol abuse and wisdom do not go together. Number one, alcohol abuse and wisdom do not go together. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Would you look there with me? Proverbs 20, verse 1. Let me assure you that my greatest desire today is not. is not to be the, the Baptist stereotype preacher that you've heard of. Baptists love to harp on alcohol, I guess maybe you would say. But my desire every Sunday is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing with God's help. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So I just want just to quickly point out five things from Proverbs. This is number one. Alcohol abuse and wisdom do not go together. Or you could say wisdom does not coexist with the abuse of alcohol. Just look at it again. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. As you look at Proverbs 20, verse one, it has been said, these intoxicants... You know what an intoxicant is, of course. It's you could this could be translated wine and beer, uh, wine and strong drink. It could be translated wine and beer. These intoxicants are personified as villains and bullies that transform people into those who ridicule virtue. End quote. Let me say that again. These intoxicants, wine and beer, are personified as villains and bullies that transform people into those who ridicule virtue. So that's point number one. And before we would go on to point number two, let me pause for just a moment before I go to the second of those five things. Let me pause and let me say that the the big picture thing that I want you to keep in mind this morning, this, this is it right here in a way. The big picture concepts that I want you to remember, and, and I'll try to remind you of this, it really, it really boils down to this. It boils down to, as much as I understand Scripture, uh, the goodness of wine. So I, I want you to, to allow me to use alcohol and wine. I know those two words are not exactly identical, alcohol and wine, but I will use them interchangeably because, of course, the Bible speaks more about wine. So So I want us to be thinking about the goodness of wine the the what the created goodness of of alcohol do you see the created goodness of wine and I also want us to be thinking about the very clear prohibition against drunkenness the very clear prohibition against drunkenness if i if I would give you a theme sentence here it is it's it's like a complex sentence it's not like it's, it's got semicolons in it okay here it is wine is a good gift from god and is not to be rejected as evil the bible clearly prohibits drunkenness jesus brings the new and the best wine i'll just say that again wine is a good gift from god and is not to be rejected as inherently evil the Bible clearly prohibits drunkenness. Jesus brings the new and the best wine. Number two, Proverbs 21, verse 17. Proverbs 21:17: "Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man." He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 21, 17. Did you see that? Please remember that when you're dealing with Proverbs, Proverbs are general statements. You are not to misinterpret the various Proverbs in the book of Proverbs and press them as though they're always true at all times, at all costs. No, they are true, but they're general statements. Do you see? In other words, the Bible does not condemn pleasure. Proverbs 21 and 2017 is not saying that pleasure itself is bad. It's also not saying that wine and oil are inherently evil. What what does it say? It says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. Whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. Well, I know some people who do love wine and oil, and they are filthy rich. Well, again, Proverbs are general statements. These things are generally true. So the second point I would say is this. Poverty and alcohol abuse do go together. Number 1, we said alcohol abuse and listen, alcohol abuse and wisdom do not go together. Poverty and alcohol abuse do go together. Proverbs 21:17. Number 3. Number 3 is the addicted drunkard. The addicted drunkard, when shall I awake? I must have another drink. I was watching a, a bugs Bunny show with my kids and he got uh, he got addicted to this drink called Spargle and uh, it was supposed to be a substitute for his coffee addiction and it was advertised to him as a good substitute, non-caffeinated coffee substitute, Spargo, and he didn't realize that it was a phony company who produced this drink, and he became all the more addicted to that and the humorousness of the Bible. In some ways, we might say the sarcasm in Proverbs 23, the text for number three, the text for point number three is Proverbs 23. It's what I read earlier, verses 29 through 35 proverbs 29 or 23 excuse me 29 through 35 and notice what it says at the very end uh from the vantage point of the of the is it of the souse is that the right word of the drunkard of the addicted drunkard what does it say in the last two lines of verse 35 when shall i awake i must have another drink it's deadly serious it's meant to be funny in a sense Uh, One man has said, What's going on here in Proverbs 23 29 through 35 is he's lampooning the drunkard. It's deadly serious, but what he's doing is he's lampooning the drunkard. So we want to notice not only the humorous ending, but we want to notice it in context. So look at verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has, who has, who has, who has? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Answer, verse 30. Those who tarry long over wine, or we could say alcoholic beverages. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. It was, of course, Cassius Clay. It was Muhammad Ali who said, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. But this is not Muhammad Ali. This is bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. It reveals the true nature of wine. Do you see? If you uh, pull back the curtain, when the true nature of what you're dealing with here is revealed, then you will see, put it down. Your eyes, verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You see, uh, the abuse of alcohol clouds your judgment. The abuse of alcohol clouds the mind. It's not pleasing to God. It's not what God created us for. It's not how God intends for us to use our minds with a clouded mind. No, no, no. He's made us upright above the animals like God. A little lower than the angels. Verse 34, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. Notice verse 34. Do you see that? I worked at a, a camp many years ago, and we, we the, the men, the summer staffers, lived. I think it was 53 steps that we had to walk up to what we called the crow's nest, high up in the trees. And you think about verse 34 and you think about this picture of the listen of the addicted drunkard. Do you see who is? I think it's a picture of his being nauseous and his staggering. He's got nausea and he's staggering. And so when I go on a boat, um, I do well to take my Dramamine first. And Christy can attest to that. And she helps me with that. Because I want to enjoy if I don't go on a boat very often at all. But if I do that, then I want to enjoy it. And the only way that I can have a little bit of fun is to take the medicine. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast and then the mind is cl- the judgment is clouded so that he says they struck me you will say at the exact point in time when you need clear thinking right when you when you actually need the height of your powers when you really need because you're in danger and you need clear thinking that's when he says basically i think i think it can be translated basically like they they beat me down bad oh it's nothing no like you're you're a fool what folly Verse 35, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. We see the addicted drunkard. Number four, stay in this chapter. Number four, stay in this chapter and look at verses 20 through 21. Here's point number four. Do not be among drunkards. Do not be among drunkards drunkards. Listen to what the New Testament says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.11. 1 Corinthians 5.11. I am writing to you, Paul says, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is a drunkard. Did you catch that? I'm writing to you, church, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. This is pertinent to us. If He is a drunkard. And my point, as I said, point number four, do not be among drunkards. Verse 20 of chapter 23, Proverbs 23 20, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For, why? Why does, why verse 20? Why do you say that? For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And slumber will clothe them with rags. You heard of the meat sweats? My, my, my wife had not heard of the meat sweats. I thought, I thought most people had heard of the meat sweats. Uh, maybe you've heard of, a, a? I think, a fairly new thing in our country, Brazilian steakhouses. So um, I, I've... Did a little research. The patrons at Brazilian steakhouses receive a red card. I have not been to one of these. They receive a red card and a green card at their table. Maybe some of you have been there. If you put up the green card, the servers will know that you are ready to eat. And if you put up the red card, they will stop bringing food. You can eat as much steak, I guess, as you want at these Brazilian steakhouses. Um, A a little more research led me to this uh, technical, not really, definition of meat sweats. Meat sweats refer to the excessive buildup of perspiration that happens after eating massive quantities of meat. You go to Brazilian steakhouse and you keep the green card and they keep it coming and then you get meat sweats. Why are we talking about this? Well, maybe as, maybe as Baptists, we do, do well to also talk about gluttony because the Bible talks about that as well because this passage talks about it. It talks about the drunkard and the glutton. Listen to me, Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton? (laughs) John came practicing what we might call Colossians 2. Listen, John the Baptist came practicing what we might call asceticism. He was like severe in his life. He was disciplined. He didn't drink. He didn't overeat. And then Jesus came, the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and he's accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Why? Because of the people that he hangs out with. Know this this morning. Know this, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to say, glutton, gluttons, no hope for you. Drunkards, no hope for you. No, the Lord Jesus Christ saves sinners. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why? As I just said, because he, he hung out with Pharisees and, or with, with the tax collectors and with sinners. He spent his time among those who were regarded. hey, And they weren't happy with John and they weren't happy with Jesus. And by the way, this passage says, be not among drunkards, but praise God. Praise God that whether this morning your, your sin is drunkenness or gluttony or whatever it may be. Praise God that the Lord Jesus Christ did not distance himself from us. He did not distance himself from us, even though this passage says, be not among them. Jesus was among them. Jesus was among us. The incarnation, the son of God took on human flesh. The son of God took on human flesh that you might be redeemed, that you might not have to be a slave to sin. The one who sins, listen, the one who sins is a slave to sin. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. The only way you can be free from any sin, even if you say, I've never touched a bottle in my life, I've never had a problem with gluttony, the only freedom from sin, period, is through becoming a slave of Jesus Christ. He died in our place on the cross. He died so that we might be freed from the slavery of sin. He died in our place bearing the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon the Son of God, Again, I mentioned John chapter 8, the one who sins is a slave to sin. Be not among drunkards, Proverbs 2320. The Lord Jesus Christ was among drunkards. You say, Well, I mean, what are you saying? He disobeyed the Bible. No, no, no. Jesus Christ came. Luke, Luke 7, by the way, don't look at it now. Luke seven thirty four. He came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking. Let me pause again. I've given you four out of the five. Let me pause. I was, um, I was helped a lot. Really, really into, a a book called Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem. Can I just share with you for just a a moment uh, some things from Grudem that I think are helpful? Here's some of his general thoughts. He starts out by giving contemporary information about the destructive results of alcohol abuse. He starts out by just presenting facts from our day, and he says this, "'The abuse of alcohol is one of the greatest evils "'in the world today, "'one that leads to many destructive consequences.'" And then he gives like six or so different empirical facts. We all know it. The abuse of alcohol is one of the greatest evils. He says, uh, Grudem says, the Bible clearly forbids drunkenness. Let's, Let's just make sure we're very clear on that. The Bible clearly forbids drunkenness. The Bible contains strong warnings about the dangers of alcohol. Now, I haven't said that so far. If you remember the big picture that I want you that I want you to, to know. I want to keep this as simple and clear as I can. You remember the big picture. Wine is is good. It's a the goodness of wine, the created goodness of wine. And and then I said, you know, also if it seems contradictory, we just we we go to the Bible. It may seem contradictory, it's not. The goodness of wine and the the absolute prohibition against drunkenness. But, but let's be clear, because I think Grudem's right. The Bible contains strong warnings about the dangers of alcohol. And "Oh, here we go. We're going to here we go. Now we're going to just teetotal. In. No, it's not the point. It's not the point. The Bible contains strong warnings about the dangers of alcohol itself. Scripture warns against being deceived by alcoholic beverages. Scripture also warns about making another person stumble. Other passages in Scripture view alcoholic beverages more positively. Uh, Grudem has these three questions that he asks as as what he considers practical uh, application. Should Christians practice total abstinence from alcoholic beverages? Should churches require total abstinence from alcoholic beverages? Is that what the covenant meant that we just read? What is the best witness to society? Grudem says, some people ask that question from a point of view of of total abstinence. What's the best witness to society? Well, the best witness to society is to totally abstain. And Grudem, I think, rightfully says, no, that's not the best answer. That's a answer. Should churches require total abstinence from alcoholic beverages? I think he's right when he says that Jesus and Paul could not have joined such a church if it's a church that requires total abstinence from alcoholic beverages. So we, we want to test everything according to the Bible. You can talk to me after the sermon. Please talk to me. We want to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to stay true to Scripture, to what it says. We don't want to uh, legalism kills. Well, should Christians practice total abstinence from alcoholic beverages? I'm still a bit with Grudem here. Let me Let me give you just maybe an extended quote for just a minute. Should Christians practice total abstinence? This is a personal question, and the answer will vary from individual to individual. It will depend in part on knowing oneself. you got to know yourself. you got to know your personal history, your family history, your cultural context. Many people who have come to realize that they are alcoholics find that they must practice total abstinence in order to avoid being drunk again. One of these people is former President George W. Bush, who quit drinking at the age of 40 and has not touched a drop of alcohol since 1986. Others practice total abstinence because they have seen alcohol addiction destroy some member of their family. Many people in positions of Christian leadership practice total abstinence. But many other Christians drink alcoholic beverages in moderation and have never been drunk or even close to drunk because the Bible does not prohibit all use of alcoholic beverages, my view, Grudem, Is that they have the freedom to do this. Romans 14, mutual non judgment. Romans 14, mutual non judgment. Well, I thought uh, Grudem's thoughts were helpful. Number five. Number five, Proverbs 31. A virtuous woman, the excellent wife. But did you know there's another woman in Proverbs 31? If you know Proverbs 31 at all, you might know it because of the excellent wife, which is verses 10 through 31. Did you know there's another woman? It's the mother of King Lemuel in verses 1 through 9. By the way, there's also another woman, and it's the woman of the whole book of Proverbs. Is the woman of wisdom? There's three women here, and without hesitation, I say it all points us ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians thirty: Is He your wisdom? Is He your wisdom? Proverbs thirty-one verses one through nine, and, and in, in specific verses four and five, teaches this. Here's the fifth point: Kings should be very disciplined with alcohol. Kings or government rulers should be very disciplined with alcohol. Proverbs 31, verse 4, this is King Lemuel's mother addressing him. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. You could certainly see that abstinence from alcoholic beverages would be Certainly an option for for anybody, and certainly for kings. Why? Why does verse 4 say that it's not for kings? Or we might translate it, you know, government rulers. Why does it say it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink? Answer, verse 5, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted because there's rules on the books and God God cares about the poor. God cares about the poor and the widow and the needy and the afflicted and the king might forget the rules that are on the books. He might become inebriated once and twice and over and over and he might start to prey upon the very people that he's supposed to help. Do you see? He might start to increase the taxes to get more money for his addiction from the people that he should be serving. Because as it says in verses 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. By the way, verses 6 and 7, we should notice them. It's a little bit difficult to interpret, not totally. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Maybe what he's saying in verses six and seven is just to kind of goad. She's goading the king back in verses four. Look, look, alcohol abuse is for poor people. You're a king. Don't get involved with this. I don't think, I don't think the message in verses six and seven is that it's okay for those who have a hard time in life, to give themselves to drunkenness. Nevertheless, verses 4 through 7 explicitly address this issue of wine. And Proverbs 31 verses 4 and 5 tell us that government rulers or kings should be very disciplined with alcohol. I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't think I've said it already. But there does seem to be this connection in the book of Proverbs between alcohol and adultery, between wine and women. I think the quote from one man some years ago is that many intelligent men have fallen prey to wine and women. And if you would look even at some of the passages that we've already looked at, if you would look at them a bit more closely in their context, you would see that there's not a hard and fast line drawn, but they're right next to each other. And in fact, the very same thing that's said about wine, its its hidden, seductive, trapping nature is exactly the same thing that's said about the, listen to me, the adulterous woman. And so many, many, many uh, men of fine intellect have fallen prey to the two Ws, to wine and women, and we don't make light of that. It's, it's the same nature, the hidden, secret, trapping nature, and and. You're you're caught in the trap of adultery. You're caught in the trap of you're you're, you're a you're an alcoholic. You're in the crow's nest. <laughs> that didn't hurt. And you're being beat within an inch of your life. And he says here, just to make explicit the point that I'm making, he says in verse 2 of chapter 31. She says to her son, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who what? Who destroy kings. There's two things that will destroy a king, women and wine. Oh, we need wisdom. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have no wisdom. Is he your wisdom? Is he your righteousness, sanctification, and redemption? It's not just that you need to pray a prayer. It's not just that you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs to be your all. He needs to become to you your treasure, your everything, so that by faith and through repentance of sins, through repenting of sins, you will become in union, in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we grow in wisdom. And we heed the message of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 18, and we think about it, and we chew on it, and we obey it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. One time, Paul? No, not one time. Go on being filled with the Spirit. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. I told you that I would use wine and alcohol interchangeably. I told you that on one hand, the text was Proverbs 23 and the book of Proverbs, but also the Bible. Listen to these scriptures. This will be very quick. First Corinthians 610, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says many other things. Listen to me. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repent of your sin today and turn to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in your place if you will repent and believe. Galatians 5 says much the same thing. Galatians 5.21, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such things like what? Drunkenness, among many other things. So we're not saved by Christian ethics. We're not made right with God by what we do but those who are made right with God by sheer grace live lives of some kind of holiness, some kind of holiness through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 3: Overseers or elders must not be drunkards. Also, 1 Timothy 3: Deacons must not be addicted to much wine. 1 Corinthians 10:23: All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Would you go with me for just a few more minutes? Let me give you two final encouragements. Let me give you two encouragements. You can turn there if you like, but you certainly don't have to. 1 Corinthians 8. Encouragement number one, consider others. Encouragement number one, consider others. 1 Corinthians 8, to be sure, does not explicitly say wine. It has a lot of help for us on this issue, on the issue of wine, on the issue of alcohol. I think it has a lot of help for us. 1 Corinthians 8, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Man, I used to go to that church down there and they had a church covenant that prohibited alcohol. But now I know. I know. That's good. You know. That's good. You, are you just thinking about yourself? If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And that is it. That's it. 1 Corinthians 8.3 Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Hey, when it comes to this issue of alcohol, we know, we do know, we, we, we do know from 1 Timothy chapter 4 that if you, say, if you say that alcohol is inherently evil, you're going against the Bible. It, as I understand scripture, 1 Timothy 4, everything created by God is good. Everything, everything created by God is good and is to be received, particularly by believers, with thanksgiving, through faith and with thanksgiving, and with joy to God. So if you say that alcohol is inherently evil, I say, man, what do you do with 1 Timothy chapter 4? So we do know, we do know, we know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, including the grapevine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But we don't know and hold that over the heads of the weaker brother. We don't lead them into sin to go against the conviction of their conscience. We remember those for whom Christ died, even as he died for us. And we are in many ways at pains. According to the right understanding of Scripture, according to the right understanding of Scripture, we are at pains to consider them. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13 is so important for the church today. Consider them. Consider them. Romans 14, by the way, and 15 say many of the same things. I'm emphasizing 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14 and 15 say many of the same. Romans 14 actually does explicitly bring up wine. It explicitly brings. listen to this. We who are strong, Romans 15, 1. I'm I'm doing the memory verses, crossway memory verse. I've got the CD. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So, thanks kids, you're supposed to sing with me. Romans 15.1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, what are you saying, John? Are you saying that that verse says, oh, yeah, you should be a teetotaler. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying you have to be a teetotaler. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Man, this is church life. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I'm here for me. I'm here for you. For Christ did not please himself. I said there's two encouragements. Consider them. Consider him. Consider him. Consider the gospel. Listen to me. Look at me. Listen to me. Look at the word. Romans 15, 3. You may not be there. It's okay. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The curse of God for the sinner fell on Christ's head at the church. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The curse of God, the wrath of God, falls on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. He never abused alcohol. He was not a gluttonous eater. And yet he came eating and drinking because as God incarnate, he does not come to show us that God's some heavy ogre. He created all things. First Timothy 4, I say it again, God created all things for our enjoyment. Christ did not please himself. John chapter 2, Jesus brings the new and the better wine. All of it's ultimately a picture of the, of the Messiah and the age to come, the age to come where wine will flow freely. The point is not wine. The point is not wine itself. The point is the one who brings the new and better wine. The Old Testament's clear the dangers of alcohol and also the goodness of alcohol. The New Testament, not quite as much as the Old Testament, but we see him, we see him who brings joy. Wine is a symbol, a gift of God that symbolizes joy. Is Jesus your all-surpassing joy? New wine for new wineskins. New covenant for the new covenant people of God. The blood of Christ shed for sinners. The blood of Christ shed for sinners. Let's pray and we'll begin to observe the Lord's Supper. We'll take a brief moment of reflection, silent prayer. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart, as the hymn says. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel part. Help us to find our surpassing joy in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. May we know ourselves today to be those who needed and who need exactly what you came for to give us a robe of your righteousness. Thank you for your perfection. Thank you for your death in our place, for your resurrection, for your ascension, for your promised coming. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Lead us in this time, we pray, and we thank you for spreading this table. In Jesus' name, amen.